You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's painful defeat at the Etihad Stadium. Not in the studio today, uh, as you can probably tell, uh, but I wanted to get this episode out as soon as possible. So I do apologise if the video quality is not as great, if the audio quality is not as great, but I wanted to get this raw reaction uh, out after this game as soon as possible. And then I can get on with the rest of my day and enjoy it, hopefully, or try and forget about what we just saw. I think if we're being realistic, not many of us expected Arsenal to go to the Etihad and come away with a result, right? But what I kept saying repeatedly was that we wanted to see a performance. We wanted to see a committed display. We wanted to see the team set up in the right way. We wanted to see Arsenal... Go there and make a game of it. Give Manchester City things to think about. Make it very, very difficult for them um, to break us down. Uh, give, you know, give our best. And we didn't even compete. We didn't even compete for a number of reasons. Let's let's kick off by talking about the way Mikel Arteta set out the side because I think most of us agreed in the lead up to this game that a back three was the way to go. I think there are very few Arsenal fans who, if they really soul search, will say we were wrong to play that way. We were wrong to set up with that formation. But the big issue comes with the personnel that was selected. And there was some really poor personnel included in the squad. And some of these decisions are becoming increasingly difficult to make sense of. You're looking at some of them and you're thinking, how has he got to that from where we were? A prime example is, is Ser Kalasinac, right? Let me just push this closed. I don't even think that Ser Kalasinac was the worst Arsenal player on the pitch today, right? So I'm not going to stick the boot in on him too much. But what I wanted to say is how has he gone from seemingly being out of the door a few days ago to being a regular in the starting 11? He started in the game against West Brom midweek and he started today at Manchester City. He's a left back. He's not a centre back. He's a left back. I thought we would play with the back three. I really, really did. And I thought that was the right way to go. And I had no complaints when I realised that that was the way he was setting the team up. But why not tuck Tierney in as one of the centre-backs? Why not play Nuno Tavares, who you've just gone out and signed this summer? What does that say to him? What does that say to him? Is it that you rate Kieran Tierney so much as a left wing back that you want him in that side? Fair enough, that's fine. But you've got to balance the squad. You've got to make the team as, as competitive as you possibly can. And so to... To, to look at it and think that playing a back three, and it's, it's it's a whole back three that's the problem, right? It's not one individual. Like We've seen Rob Holding do a job at times. We've seen uh, Callum Chambers look okay in certain games. We've seen, um, you know, those players all at certain points in their Arsenal careers look passable, but that's not good enough. And when your back three is that weak, surely, surely there is no point in playing that way if you're going to pick those players. 
as I say, right decision to, to set up with the back three, but the personnel was completely wrong. It was completely wrong. It was strange. I couldn't understand it. As I say, Sarah Kalasinac, seemingly out of the door a few days ago, starts at Manchester City as a centre-back. As a centre-back. Doesn't make sense to me. Callum Chambers. The way Mikel Arteta has kind of indicated his future is going to be in this football club is as a right-back. He's almost kind of fobbed us off with the whole we need to get a right-back thing and by constantly kind of hinting at the fact that we do have a number of options one of those options, one of the preferred options we thought all this time was Callum Chambers because he keeps being selected. And then you're tucking him into a, a central defence. And where was Pablo Marie in all this? You know, I know he had a bad game uh, at Brentford, as did Ben White, who we just spent £50 million on. And I know he was bullied by Romelu Lukaku last week, as would most defenders um, find when they come up against the Belgian. So how do you go from... Picking Pablo Marie to start your Premier League season with, and then deciding that Ser Kalasinacu's halfway out the door, or we're led to believe was halfway out the door, comes in instead. How is Callum Chambers a better option at centre back than Pablo Marie? I don't know. It's it's just all baffling. It's honestly mind boggling. And people will always say we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know exactly, you know, what is happening. Um, we don't know about people's fitness, their conditions. Did they pick up knocks, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But this was honestly mind-boggling. When we talked on a podcast yesterday, when we looked ahead to this game between um, between uh, Manchester City and Arsenal, and we were selecting our midfield, if you remember, or I was selecting my midfield. I remember saying in passing, "Do you think Mikel Arteta would?" consider dropping Odegaard or dropping Smith Rowe into a more deeper midfield position because of the added stability that the back three gives you. Well, you only get that added stability from the back three if you pick the right personnel. You don't get added stability from a back three when one of them's a left back, questionable how good he is even as a left back. One of them in Rob Holding has only ever shown that he can play as part of a back three if he is the man on the right-hand side of it pushed into the middle. And then Callum Chambers, who's been playing as a right back uh, for the, the last few months at Arsenal, has been put in there as well. That that added stability that allows you to put an Odegaard in a deeper midfield position simply wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And, you know, Mikel in his post-match talked about how we started the game well. Yeah, maybe we did. You know, I, I turn around to the people I was watching it with a few minutes in and said, oh, you know, six minutes in, we look OK. We look quite lively. Six minutes is not long enough to look good for if you want to get a result at Manchester City. Six minutes is not good enough. To, is not long enough to look good for in any Premier League game. You have to be able to do more than that. And it doesn't matter how you set the team up. It doesn't matter which personnel you pick. If the team are going to go and make mistakes like that. The way we conceded that first goal was nothing short of a shambles. Nothing short of a shambles. I talked in the build-up to this game repeatedly about how Arsenal needed, in my opinion, to funnel Manchester City's play out to the flanks. And the big reason I wanted the back three was because I felt like you could then, if we defended properly, you would back the team to be able to defend those crosses. Now, Manchester City... Love to get the ball to the byline and cut balls back. And that involves late runners coming from midfield. And sometimes you can say 
okay, that was difficult to pick up. You know, someone's made a run from deep. We've been marking players in the penalty area. We've turned off for a second. A player's arrived in. It's a great cutback. It's really accurate. It's really well done. And, and it's a brilliant goal. But routine balls chipped into the back post should be defended. They should be defended. And you could talk all day about how Arsenal should have cut out the cross at source, that the cross shouldn't have come in. I do not expect Callum Chambers playing at centre-half for Arsenal today to lose out at his far post to a header to Ilkay Gundogan. Shouldn't happen. Simply shouldn't happen. He's got to be side-on. He's got to be aware of Ilkay Gundogan's position. He's got to be in a place where once the cross comes over, he can read the trajectory of it. He might say, shit, I'm caught out here. And what do you do? What does a good centre-half do? A good centre-half backs into his man, backs into Ilkay Gundogan. It's not a foul. You're walking backwards. You don't even know he's there. You can't, can't even see him. You, you edge back into him and you at least try to prevent him, A, getting off of the ground or B, having a header completely unchallenged. And we did none of it. We did none of it. Callum Chambers, caught out of position, doesn't really know where Gundogan is, mistimes his jump, completely misreads the cross, and all of a sudden, you're 1-0 down to Manchester City. And that is so frustrating. And it's so frustrating because you're not talking about Arsenal being blown off the pitch by Manchester City as if they've come out like a house on fire and played lovely one-twos and intricate passes there was none of that. It's a simple chipped cross into the far post that Arsenal couldn't defend. The very reason we were set up in that shape was to be able to defend the width of our penalty area effectively. And you're not talking about Romelu Lukaku coming, powering in at your far post. You're talking about Ilkay Gundogan. That's not acceptable. It's not good enough. And it don't matter how you set the team up. It doesn't matter who you pick. Those are the basics in football. The absolute basics. And we're not getting them right. And we haven't been getting them right for a long, long time. And players like Callum Chambers have been at this club long enough now to show us that they're not at the elite level, that they're not necessarily good enough to, to play for Arsenal. People will point to the players that we're missing. And I agree, I've got some sympathy uh, for Mikel Arteta in that sense. But these are the basic fundamentals of football. You look at Liverpool's squad players, you look at Chelsea's squad players, you look at Man City's squad players, Man United's squad players, and they don't get the basics fundamentally wrong as often as ours do. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of it. Cedric Suarez, we talked about him in the lead up to the game. He shouldn't have been playing. He looked completely out of sorts against Chelsea. He looked as though he hadn't even had a preseason. He looked so unfit. He looked terrible. And he comes into the side today and he's a complete and utter liability. Yes, there was an incident in the lead up to uh, to, to City's second goal. Ball came into the penalty area and Imeric Laporte swung an arm. Definitely caught Callum Chambers in the face. We were watching the coverage on BT Sport. Would Martin Keown have gone down in a lump like that? Or would Martin Keown have got on with it, defended the situation and then complained about it afterwards? You know, VAR's there. They'll look at it. Deal with the situation at hand. And then go and crowd around the referee. Then complain. Then throw yourself down to the ground. If you're a centre-half in the Premier League and that, whether it's a foul or not, puts you down on the ground, you haven't got enough steel. You haven't got enough strength. You're not for this level. But even prior to that happening, when the ball comes into the penalty area, Cedric Suarez, you've got to clear it. 
What is he doing? He doesn't know whether to go with his foot, whether to go with his head. He completely makes a mess of it. Rule number one as a defender, you don't let the ball go past you. It's as simple as that. You do whatever you can to put your body in the way and you defend it. And that is just piss poor, which allowed the ball to get in behind and to be turned in. Of course, I think it was a foul, you know, in the lead up to Arsenal, uh, to City's second goal. Of course, I do. I, I was furious about it. And the reason I was furious about it was because it was so clear. We talk about clear and obvious uh, with VAR, and that is, for me, clear and obvious. It's not a, it's not a, a scramble for position. It is literally a, right, I'm going to get you off, you, get you off me by, by whacking you one in the face. That's clear and obvious to me. That should have been pulled up. And I thought, it should have been pulled up, but it should have been defended better. That was my feeling immediately after that. And then I see Sarah Kalasinac booked for an incident that was even more innocuous, if you like, than that one. For a situation where he's not even looking at the man. He can't even really see him. He's just put his arm out to hold his position. He's touched Gabriel Jesus on the top of the head. It's not in the face. It's on the top of the head. And the referee comes over and brandishes a yellow card. And you're thinking to yourself, where is the consistency? Where is the consistency? But we can't dwell on the odd refereeing decision here and there when we as a team are not doing everything within our power to win football matches. We can't do, you know, we, we can't do this every week. We can't dig in and try and find something that we can use as the reason uh, for why we lost, something that is outside of our control. We didn't defend the first goal well enough. And even putting the Chambers-Laporte incident aside for the second goal, we still didn't do enough to defend that ball getting into the penalty area. We still didn't do enough to prevent that pass, uh, that cross going into the penalty area because Cedric, unable to deal with the ball. It's really, really, really poor. Really poor. And then Granit Xhaka goes and gets himself sent off with an absolute moment of madness. It's a stupid challenge to make. Um... You know, it, it's a really stupid challenge to make, in my opinion. You, you, the minute you take both your feet off the ground and you go in like that in 2021, you're giving the referee a decision to make. Now, do I think that's a sending off at Emirates Stadium? Probably not. I think that at Emirates Stadium, without the crowd jumping up, making a big deal out of it, without the home players crowding around the referee, I actually think the referee could quite easily get by showing a yellow card there and moving on. But I accept that in this day and age, and especially away from home, that kind of decision is going to go against you. You know, that kind of decision is um, it, you giving the referee a decision to make is it is stupid in the first place. Unnecessary. I know he got the ball. He touched the ball, but it's the way he launches into the challenge that just makes it nowadays completely unacceptable. I think that Part of the reason that's a red card is, is due to reputation. I do. I think that if Martin Odegaard makes that challenge, he's not walking. I do think that reputation has played a part there. Uh, and it's poor from Granit Xhaka. There's no doubt about it. And and he's he, he's not the reason we lost the game today because we were already 2-0 down at that point. And it was a mountain to climb prior to us even turning up at Emirates uh, at Etihad. Uh, so... You know, at 2-0 down, it's it's more than a mountain to climb. It's it's a climb into space, isn't it, pretty much? So, you know, but that's another thing that, that we've not helped ourselves with. It's another situation in which we've not uh, managed it properly. We've not acted right. And we've left ourselves with an even more difficult position to try and bounce back from. 
It's not good enough. You know, it's um, it's one of those things now where you're looking at it and you're trying to you're trying to work out what the next move is. You know, and I said to you guys the other day, if Antonio Conte, for example, or any other manager of that top top bracket, is willing to come to the club, I said to you, I think it was on either Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. If as Arsenal Football Club, you have got an agreement in principle with Antonio Conte, now you sack Mikel Arteta on the spot and you move on. The other problem here is, though, where, you know, do you trust this club to go and get the next appointment right? Because ever since Arsene Wenger left, and we all agreed that he, he had to leave and we all agreed that things were uh, not going in the in the right way for him. You know, and and the club were were heading in in the wrong direction towards the end, but we were never bottom of the table three games into a season, having scored zero goals, having uh, conceded nine. We were never in this place, and ever since he's left, you feel like the levels dropped even more, and you feel like the club have just constantly got big decision after big decision after big decision wrong. So do you trust them now to go out and get this right man in place. And it's why I say when we're talking about sacking Mikel Arteta, it's, well, who's coming in? And if that person coming in is an upgrade, then you do it. It's a no-brainer because the longer this goes on, uh, you know, the the harder it is for us as Arsenal fans to stomach, but the harder it is for Arsenal to recover as a football club. The further you let this slide, the further you let this fall, um, the, the more difficult it is to pick it back up again. But, you know, I've said it before. I said that I thought that the club would probably give him up until Christmas. And I don't necessarily think, as I said prior, that a result against Manchester City, a defeat against Manchester City is going to be the, the deciding factor. I think if we go and get beat by Norwich at home in our next fixture, then people will start looking, uh, you know, looking at it very, very differently. But it's not that we lost to City today. It's the way we lost. It's the way... We conceded soft goals. It's the questionable decisions around personnel. It's the questionable decisions after, you know, even after Granit Xhaka got sent off. I mean, you were looking at it and Lokonga wasn't warming up. Elneny wasn't warming up. And you're looking at that defensive midfield of Martin Odegaard and you're thinking, well, we can all see that this is headed for a big score. And even more so because you're not changing it. And it's just those kind of decisions that that drive me mad and are making it really, really difficult to get behind him and support him. Look, I'm one of those Arsenal fans that I don't go into games saying, oh, we're going to get beaten 5-6-0. That's not me. You know, I think if you don't have hope as a fan, if you don't have some optimism going into football matches, then what is the point? You might as well not watch it. You know, I've seen a lot of people tweeting me and stuff saying that they turn the game off, um, you know, after after 2-0, after 3-0. And that's how people are feeling at the moment. Because people are feeling like that, you know, where, sorry, when people are feeling like that, that should be a telltale sign to the people running the football club that things are not right. Things are not right from the very top. The owners don't care enough. They'll throw a bit of money at the transfer window every now and again. And people say, well, they've spent, Arsenal have spent the right money. It doesn't matter where you spend the bloody uh Sorry, they'll say Arsenal spent the most money in the Premier League. It doesn't matter whether you've spent the most money in the Premier League. If you've spent that money badly, if you've spent that money and it's not improved your side enough for you to move forward, 
then then you've got an issue. You know, it means that the people that you've put in place in the first place, the people that you've tasked with turning this club around are not doing their jobs properly. Then you've got people like Edu. You know, if, if, if Mikel Arteta is culpable, so is Edu here because they've been working in unison. They've been working in tandem to create this new arsenal. The process, as they call it, is them. It's not just Mikel Arteta and it's not just Edu. They're both in on it together. They're both picking the players that we buy and they're both selling the, uh, they're both deciding the players that we don't want. They're both behind the scenes, pulling the strings and they're both vastly inexperienced, too inexperienced for a club like Arsenal. And the more we see, the more that is becoming clear and evident and the more imperative it is that Arsenal start making plans to, to fix this. Because I've talked about it before. I talked about the, the fact that we do need time, the fact that this is a big, big job, the fact that the turnaround isn't going to happen overnight. But as Arsenal Football Club, there are certain standards that need to be maintained at all times. OK, I don't expect Arsenal to, to win the league. I don't expect Arsenal to finish even in the top four this season. But I don't expect Arsenal to be bottom of the league three games into the season without picking up a single point and without scoring a single goal. These are all things that are just not acceptable for a club of our size. So we can talk about this, you know, going, you know, we could talk about the, the need for patience. And I agree there is a need for patience, but you can only give patience to something when you can see it moving in the right direction. You can only give patience to someone when a minimum standard is being fulfilled. And it is not right now at Arsenal Football Club. It's not being fulfilled at all. There's a few uh, brilliant super chats in there. Let me just pick them up uh, before they disappear off my screen. Uh, bear with me. Let me just scroll back and pick out. I did miss one. Uh, oh, I'm really sorry. One of them's disappeared. The first one that came in has disappeared because I've been rambling on and the chat has, uh, has updated. Uh, Nakore says that uh, Kalasinac's transfer is off the table. It looks that way, doesn't it? Because he's bloody playing in the team. Every single week. Uh, Said Abdullah says the problem, Harry, is that we know he won't be fired because I think the club still trusts him and they have no plan to replace him. It's just painful. I feel sorry for the travelling fans. Uh, what else have we got here uh, in terms of Super Chat? Daniel, uh, thank you very much, mate. He says, Harry, I'm with you in what you say and how you stand. But today, the way we lost, spineless is unacceptable. I'm struggling to stay with the process. It feels like my darkest days as an Arsenal fan. This is the thing, right? This is the thing. I'm I'm really trying carefully not to go OTT on the fact that we lost to Manchester City because I think they are that good a side that you can easily get beaten by them. You can easily get beaten by them quite handsomely, quite convincingly. But this is not just about today. This is about mind-boggling decisions with players who are, you know, who are, seemingly not part of the future plans, or at least weren't two weeks ago, starting in games like this. We're talking about a different system every week. Therefore, you know, I would have had, if Mikel Arteta, and I said that setting up with a back three was absolutely the right way to go today. But if he had, throughout his Arsenal career, just said, I'm not playing that way. Okay, you lot might want it. I don't give a shit. That's not how I play. I probably would have had more respect for him. But the constant changing of like, not just the system and shape in terms of the way we play, but also 
the way we actually impose ourselves on the game, the way we actually approach football matches is 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 strange. Because I don't see how you can um get people ask people to trust the process and buy into a process if you constantly change what that process is, if you constantly move the goalposts in terms of what it is that you're hoping to do and how you're hoping to do it. And I give you an example of this. As I said, I'm not pissed off that we played with a back three. What I'm pissed off about is why have we gone from this team who plays in the games against the big sides and sits off, um, you know, sits in a deep uh, sort of low block and looks to pick them off on the break to a team that tries to press them really high up the pitch? When have we ever had any joy from doing that? And listen, I, I, I like Granite Xhaka. I've defended Granite Xhaka. I, I thought that what he did today was wrong, obviously. But I talked about the significance of, of keeping him and I talked about why Arsenal did that and why I thought it was probably the right move was, as I said at the time, because they looked at the market and they went, well, it's going to cost us 35, 40 million pounds to replace this guy. And with the players that we can get for that kind of money, is there any guarantee that we're upgrading in that position? And the answer based on what Arsenal looked at, was probably no. Hence why they didn't do it. But if your intention, Mikel Arteta, and we didn't know this before the season kicked off, okay? When the season kicked off, I expected Arsenal to be playing in the 4-2-3-1 with the two uh, men in midfield as a deep line pivot, allowing the rest of the team to go on an attack. But if you knew in your mind, Mikel Arteta, that you were going to ask your central midfield, who for the most part of last season sat deep in front of your back four, to now go and press teams and opponents really high up the pitch, then why did you keep Granit Xhaka? Because that's not his game. He's not fit for purpose if that's the way you want to play. If you want to play with that aggression and you want to squeeze your entire team up the pitch, you need mobile midfielders. And you need defenders who are capable of pushing up the pitch and squeezing people up. And dominating the game that way. You close teams in their half. Yeah, maybe you adjust that tactic against Manchester City because they're a, a, a superior side. But you squeeze the team up. You press people from the front. And pressing only works if there's a minimal gap between your front line and your back line. Because the way you do it effectively is you squeeze the pitch and you make it as small as possible. But then you've got centre-halves like Rob Holding. Don't tell me that you know, Rob Holding is not part of Mikel Arteta's plans because he's kept him over William Saliba. He's kept him when there were offers on the table for him. Don't tell me that Callum Chambers is not part of the plans because he's been at the club for seven odd years and Mikel Arteta still hasn't binned him. This is the, the issue. You know, you, it, you either say this is the way we're going to play. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go through some pain getting there. But gradually, we are going to assemble a side that is capable of playing that way. Or you say, right, let's look at what we've got. And, and we're going to change it from game to game and consistently do that because we, we know we're not good enough. But the, the decisions in terms of personnel and in terms of tactics just don't marry up at the moment. You want to play a high up the pitch. You want to press people up the pitch. Well, Granit Xhaka's not your man. So why did you sign him up on a new deal? If you're going to play him in the role he played last season, where you can actually say was probably his best season in an Arsenal shirt, then fine. Made sense to me at the time. 
but to completely abandon that and play in a different way and then ask not just Shaka, but a number of players in the team that are not fit for purpose to play in the way you want to play makes no sense. As I say, the recruitment process and the tactical progress, if you like, or tactical evolution of the side are not, they're not marrying up. There's a disconnect, a massive, massive disconnect. And that is a large part of Arsenal's problems at the moment. The goals after the third one, and the third one was probably the worst of them all. Edison, ball through the middle of the pitch. Player turns, carries the ball all the way to our final third, plays it out to the left to Grealish, back across the box, Jesus puts it in. That is shambolic defending. It's awful defending. It's embarrassing defending. And that is where you're looking for players to go, right, lads, we are two goals down, okay, we are down to 10 men. This is going to be a mountain to climb, but we have to play for the badge on our shirts. We have to play for those fans who have given up their hard-earned cash and time to travel up to Manchester at God knows what time this morning to watch that absolute shit. You have to, at some point, as a professional footballer, take pride in what you do and say, right, we're going to fix up here. Yeah, we're already 2-0 down. The game's done. We're, we're not going to win it. We know that. It's going to be a tall order. But at 2-0, there's always that glimmer. You might you might nick a goal. You know, you might nick a goal 2-1. All of a sudden, City start retreating a little bit. Things get nervy. You've always got a chance. Even if you head into the last 10 minutes at 2-0 down, you've always got a tiny little chance of getting back into the game. But instead, instead of showing that pride, instead of the leaders standing up, and we talk a lot about, you know, about Mikel Arteta and, and how he's getting it wrong and, you know, and how he's not inspiring Where's the inspiration from the players on the pitch? I'll tell you where it is. It's non-existent. It's non-existent because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and we've spent a lot of time slagging him off over the last year. You know, he looked really good against West Brom midweek. I'm not going to dig him out today because he had absolutely no uh, no service whatsoever. He might as well have been a passenger. In fact, he might as well have been sitting with his feet up uh, ready for, for the Norwich game in a couple of weeks' time. But... You know, there's you look other than him. Who, who are you looking at for inspiration in terms of senior players? I don't class Bukayo Saka as a senior player. The guy's 19 years old. I don't class Emil Smith Rowe as a senior player. The senior players that are in that side are not good enough to wear the Arsenal shirt. They're not good enough. Rob Holding, Sarah Kalasinac, Cedric Suarez. Not good enough. There is no nobody to turn to in that side and look at for inspiration. There is no leader on the pitch. There is no leader off the pitch. Everything is, is just such a mess at this football club as things stand. And I'm not going to get too much into the tactical side. We've talked about it briefly. We've touched on Arsenal's desire to press Manchester City high at the pitch, the back three, how that all sort of came about and, and, and how that all sort of materialised. We'll talk about in a lot more detail on tomorrow's tactical analysis uh, show, where we'll be looking at it in little, in sort of with a microscope. Um, but right now, this is raw reaction. I don't really know where we go from here. You know, yes, it feels like, you know, Mikel Arteta's uh, on thin ice at the moment. It really, really does. And again, it's not because of the fact that we got beaten by Manchester City. It's the nature of of the defeat. It's the fact that he still can't inspire these players. It's the fact that the personnel 
uh, selected was questionable and it was questionable last week and it was questionable the week before that and it was questionable various points in last season. It's, you know, it's getting worrying. It's getting concerning. Arsenal, rock bottom of the Premier League table and, um, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take stock during this international break and part of me does feel like, you know, a sacking wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, I thought that the club would probably give him till Christmas. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Another part of me thinks that this is getting so bad in terms of the way we're playing, the lack of commitment shown on the pitch, the lack of uh, continuity with regards to how we're playing from week to week, the, uh, you know, the, the breakdown or the disconnect between our recruitment policy and what we're actually looking to do tactically. All of that, you know, feel like big, feels like a, a load of big issues. But do I trust this club to sack Mikel Arteta now and go and get the right man? I can't ever say that in all with all sincerity. I can't ever sit there and say, you know, that I do trust this club to get it right because they've got everything wrong over the last few years. Everything, everything they could possibly get wrong as a football club. They've done it. Big contracts to the wrong players. Let players go who I'm not saying, um, you know, I'm not saying would definitely make a difference, but we've let players go who I would have preferred to see in the team today than some of those who started. It's it's just a really, really difficult spot to be in as an Arsenal fan. And uh, look, I'm going to leave it there. Um, we'll do the questions bit. Uh, on the show tomorrow. We'll do the tactical analysis show uh, tomorrow and we'll go into it in a little bit more detail because to be quite honest, we're nearly 35 minutes in and I just don't want to talk about Arsenal anymore. Uh, I'm at that point. It's a really, I'm not going to say it's a really disappointing defeat because I thought we would get beaten, but the nature of the performance, the fact that the team dropped their heads, the fact that we have senior players still making stupid mistakes, the fact that we have uh, a manager talking about good situations we created in it. He came out after the game on his BT Sport interview and he said, we started the game really well. We went 1-0 down. After that, we created some situations. Those were his words. We created some situations. Guess how many shots Arsenal had today at Manchester City? One. Guess how many shots Arsenal had on target? Zero. Guess how many shots Manchester City had? 25 with 10 on target. We had 19% of the possession. 19% of the possession. Manchester City had more than 80% of the possession. And Mikel Arteta comes out and talks to me about the situations that we created. Some good situations, apparently. It's things like that I'm starting to lose patience with as well. Because he should come out and say it wasn't good enough. He should come out and say we lack discipline, that we were making silly mistakes. He should dig people out, not individuals. He should dig the team out. He should talk about how things went wrong, why we're in this position. And there will be some players that will go in the changing room, look in the mirror at themselves and say, yeah, you know what? You know, they might not say it to him and they might not say it vocally. But they'll look in the mirror and they'll say, yeah, do you know what? He's right. We didn't defend that situation well enough. The commitment did drop off. We weren't good enough. And there'll be others who will say, oh, I don't want this. You know, no, I'm not going to have the manager digging me out when he sets us up like that. Blah, blah, blah. Well, those players can get on their bike and get out. 
as far as I'm concerned. Because that in itself is not a winning mentality. And if you ain't got a winning mentality, you shouldn't be playing for Arsenal Football Club. If you haven't got the desire or pride in what you do to make sure that you go out and you are fully committed and you do your absolute best for the team week in, week out, then you shouldn't be wearing that shirt. So I am upset. I am frustrated. I am really disappointed today. Uh, we're supposed to be taking a day out. Um, and we'll we'll be back tomorrow with a tactical analysis show, as I say, to look at it with a bit of a calmer head, to look at it from a, a more kind of technical po point of view. We'll try and work out where Mikel Arteta was right, where he was wrong um, and uh, and where it all where it all went, but uh, where it all went to shit, basically. But until then, uh, take care. Going to leave you all to enjoy the rest of your Saturdays. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon with another episode. Just a quick reminder, because I've been so pissed off. I haven't done any of this and I should have done this uh, right at the start. If you haven't already, please do hit that like button. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're new. I can see there's over 400 of you watching, but we've only got 101 likes on the board. Let's try and get that up to 150. It really helps me. I don't want you to like the result, but it really helps me in bringing you guys content and getting that content out to as many people um, as, as possible. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. We're not far off 16K here on YouTube. We want to get there as soon as possible. And a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by Manscaped.com. I must apologize to you because I'm supposed to do this in the first 20 minutes of the show. But really sorry. Got carried away ranting and raving about Arsenal and their poor performance. Enter the discount code 90min20 on manscaped.com and you can get 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. They've got some fantastic products. Check it out and uh, I will catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simmons.